And then, you know, she may say, well, that's fine. You know, I don't find that disrespectful. And he should be able to handle that. He's a man. He's grown, right? So if, if he goes, right, if he, if he says, well, it was really hurtful, you know, I, I appreciate if you said it in a kinder way, what's happening here? And, and I'll have the same conversation with couples. And then he'll go, well, Juan, if I, as I'm saying that, I'm feeling even more shame and embarrassment now because I, I feel like a punk. I feel like I'm having to tell someone to speak to me in a softer way. And I, I'm a man. I should be able to handle that really tough conversation. So then I go, well, why? Why should you be able to handle that? Mm. You know, do you not deserve the kindness, you know, of compassion? Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the shame and fear dynamic in couples. Yep, it's a big dynamic. And that gives a good insight into really what goes on in the dynamic with couples. And I have a conversation with a returning guest, Juan Santos. Juan is a colleague practicing out of Greensboro, North Carolina. And he also specializes in seeing couples. So we get into it about that fear, shame, and dynamic. And another way to say that is also inadequacy and anxiety. So a lot of times, another way of saying that is shame and inadequacy shows up in men's experience more predominantly. And fear and anxiety shows up a lot in a woman's experience. And a lot of times that just goes back and forth and feeds off of each other. So Juan and I talk about how it typically shows up. What are the challenges of that? Also some of the remedies to look for and to practice to be aware of it and move out of that dynamic. And when we understand the underlying aspect of what's going on when we're in conflict or when we feel separated with this dynamic, it will bring a lot of resolve. So let me tell you a little bit more about Juan. Juan is a licensed clinician that helps people reclaim their lives and build healthy relationships. Juan owns a counseling practice, Santos Counseling PLLC, located in Greensboro, North Carolina. Juan loves coaching people through journeys of self-discovery and uncovering creative ways to become their best versions. Juan was born in the Dominican Republic and lives in Greensboro, North Carolina with his wife and two kids. He also utilizes a blend of strategies with the focus always being on the client's goals and ambitions. Juan is an author of various relationship books that you can get the links to those books on the show notes. You can also contact him at santoscounseling.com which I also have links to the show notes. And I just want to mention that Juan and I were recording this right before dinner time. He was downstairs as his family and his little children were upstairs playing 
And if you hear some funky sounds, that's just them pitter-patting around upstairs. And that's what we got sometimes when we're doing remote recording. Real life. So we had a lot of fun last month when we talked about friendship breakups. And I really hope that you will enjoy this conversation of the fear and shame dynamics in couples. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Let's talk about it. Right here we go, my man. One more time. I'm I'm so glad that you wanted to do another podcast because I love the one that we did before. I'm excited. We're, we're gonna have a, a good good conversation here. Maybe some good laughs. Yeah, exactly. Because this is a good one to talk about. You know, around the shame fear dynamic, usually between like a man and a woman heterosexual relationship. I like to also say uh, shame and inadequacy or fear and anxiety. So yeah, we see that a lot in our work. I know I see it a lot. And it's one where at times, you know, I'll be working with couples and it's thrown out there, but the guy won't jump on it, you know? And, and I completely get it, you know, from one male, I get it from that perspective of, I'm just going to see if the counselor lets that comment slide by because I don't want to put myself in a situation where I feel that shame because it doesn't feel good. And we often avoid things that don't feel good. Exactly. Even calling out shame it feels shameful, you know? So I think as counselors, or we have to be careful about calling that out in some way. Oh, are you feeling shame right now? Or I, that's why I use the word, it's a little soft in that way of, of, of inadequacy, but even that, we don't want to feel that at all. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I even look at it like, like this sometimes, man. Like when a man ejaculates, millions of sperm goes out and only one of those suckers might, might, might make it. It's like we are biologically inadequate in some way, right? You know, like it's even like <laughs> comes down to like the DNA in some way. And we grow up in a culture around shaming even closeness or emotions or we always, I, I hear it a lot from men is I'm not good enough. I'm never good enough. Mm. Yeah, no, it starts, it starts so early. You know, I mean, I remember things growing up as a kid, you know, whether it's statements of man up or, you know, suck it up. The, the way that the way it's pushed to be a provider, you know, earn, having to earn a certain amount of money or taking care of the house. And if you can't, then instead of going in a different healthy direction, maybe it's those thoughts of shit, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm screwing up here. I'm inadequate. Maybe she could find somebody better than me. And, and we go in that direction. And it's why we're here today, you know, to figure out why and, and maybe to put some sort of end to it so that, you know, couples can find themselves in a better place, in a better space. Yeah. And I think also that what you just talked about, like with the providership, even when men express their vulnerability around it, what I tell women is be careful. Be careful about what you're asking for. You're asking for that vulnerability. Because if I start talking about my vulnerability, about feeling a failure at providing, and then if my wife starts to get anxiety, like, oh my God, does that mean we're going to lose our house? It's like, well, that's not helping, right? Like, like if I go to yeah. my vulnerability, don't go to your anxiety, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of times men don't express that. I heard Brene Brown talk about vulnerability and she mm -hmm. said at a, at a book signing, a man came up with her and said, you know, you talk a real good game. I get it. But you're not really talking about men's vulnerability because see those three women over there? He pointed to his wife and two girls. He said, 
there's no way that they would let me get knocked off of my white horse. They don't want to see me vulnerability. It scares the shit out of them. And she had a really eye-opening experience in that. And in some ways, that's true. And I think we got to, you know, really understand that that dynamic and have compassion because I think compassion and empathy is an antidote to understanding it too. Yeah. It's like navigating this, you know, whole new waters. And I'm glad you bring her up. You know, she does a lot of really great work when it comes to courage and vulnerability. I had a couple like that where I worked with them and we found ourselves in this space where they, they, they needed to get to that conversation. Right. So the guy, he opens up and, um, you know, just as you know, it's about finances and he opens up about finances and he's like, well, I didn't want to tell you, you know, how we were doing because we're, we're doing different words, you know, we're struggling, we're not doing too well. And I look over and her eyes are just getting bigger and she's getting anxious and she's getting worried and she starts to move her hands. And then he goes, see, you're doing that thing with your hands. You do the thing with your hands where you get nervous. That's why I don't say anything. That's why I just keep my mouth shut. And then, you know, I swallow and I deal with it. But, but that's, 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 the, that's the issue that we're having, right? The couple's there because of this lack of communication, lack of vulnerability. So it's this interesting space of, you know, if he is being vulnerable, maybe from my end, I'm being compassionate, I'm being understanding and, and soothing that space. But again, if we haven't done it before, we often just go into these like natural reactions. And I think what she was doing, she was doing a very natural reaction. And his reaction to that was, I'm going to just go into a hermit mode. And, and not share the financial difficulties and just bear those as the man in the relationship, um, some sort of, you know, term that society gave uh, him at some point. And then it caused, you know, issues within that relationship. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a great, great story. Cause that happens a lot in, in that, in that part of, you know, how can couples be with each other's vulnerability without having to fix it and soothe it right away? And one of the, I think the best ways of also soothing it is through compassionate touch, you know, a hug, a lot of things that are nonverbal to, to bring down the cortisol levels at that time, you know, increase the, the aspect of the oxytocin of that connection. And like, I'm, I'm with you, even though that we have this, this issue or, or problem, um, we're going to kick around the soccer ball together at the problem, not against each other. And I think a lot of times couples look at these differences as going between them and against each other, as opposed to we have this difference or we have this, this uh, challenge that we have to look at how together we can um, manage it. Because managing the differences is the key. It's not always resolving it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, do you think... Um... I want, to, I want to go first to that first point of the cortisol levels and, and the oxytocin. Often we don't look at that, you know, with that high stress, we're getting vulnerable. The, those cortisol levels are going up and that, you know, often affects our agitation or our blood pressure. We may feel on edge. And whenever we go in the other direction, we provide it, you know, compassion and calmness. Uh, then the oxytocin comes out where we feel a little bit better and more ease. So I do think it's important to acknowledge that. I just wanted to touch on it. And I know you touched on it, but I wanted to hit it a little bit more. That's all right. Yeah, I think it's really important. I tell couples a lot about that's that's a key that you can utilize. You know, I don't get so scientific in it. I just let them know, like, there, there's hormones that are going out. Usually, we can't have contradictory hormones going out. You can't have a stress hormone and a feel-good hormone at the exact same time. 
So it's usually, which do you want to feed? Which do you want to actually activate in your relationship? So I think it's great to give couples a tool of like saying, hey, you want to help your relationship by bringing down the stress? One of the best ways to do that is a nice, soft, non-sexual touch on the leg, uh, more hugs during the day, caressing each other's face when you look at each other, positive, appreciative thoughts and affirmations, that's going to increase it. When you, when you get a cortisol dump, which I tell couples like, hey, a cortisol dump, when you're feeling stressed, it doesn't go away for about 20 minutes. So it's really good to pause. That's why like, don't try to say, okay, let's pause. And you pause for 30 seconds and then boom, the, the, the match gets flared up. That's because the cortisol is still in the body. So yeah, I think it's, it's really good to be able to educate a little bit and really understand there's a secret key in the body that we can help without talking about it. Yeah, no, I, I do the same thing. I, I try to break it down just you know, simple, you know, telling somebody, hey, imagine you drink some coffee, what's going to happen? You're going to get a little jittery. You're going to get excited. You're going to have some energy. And when you're being vulnerable, other chemicals may be coming up too. Having that type of knowledge allows us to kind of think before we act and then move forward in a really healthy direction. Exactly. From your end, as far as like these areas of shame for men, what do you think are the common ones that you see out there? Yeah. Well, I think that we're conditioned around sexual shame. I think shame around sex, period, in especially Western society, we shame sex a lot. But we use these words of like men uh, perform, you know, so there's already this expectation that men have to perform. Um, so if we don't, if we fail in some way, whether it's achieving, you know, having our partner achieve orgasm or keeping an erection and, you know, then there's a lot of shame around it. I mean, we even, what do we name a penis? Manhood, right? In romance novels, thriving manhood, you know, it's like, wow. So like, that's all about me. And if, if I don't have that, then I'm not, I'm not manly. So I think that that's one area. I also think around money and, and providing, you know, success in the world. That's one aspect of that. It's measured, unfortunately. And so men feel a lot of that aspect around needing to succeed or aspects of failure. So shame comes in that. But most that I see in relationship is if a man sees that his woman is not satisfied or happy, he automatically feels shame, even if he has nothing to do with it. I know for me, if my wife is happy, I'll take credit for it, even if I don't have anything to do with it, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, because it used to be go shoot the deer, you know, bring it home, I provide. Oh, now it's like, I got to provide for your happiness. And so when you're unhappy, I automatically feel that I feel inadequate. Yeah, there's, there's that connection there. And, you know, it's an interesting one because I think to one degree, we may not want to we may, we, may, we may not want to allow that to influence our entire mood, right? Like a husband may not want to find himself in a situation that says, he's saying, well, if she's not happy, then I'm miserable. And, you know, I'm depressed, right? Because we have that, you know, that, that murky water of like codependence. And, and then at the other end, we don't want to go to, if she's unhappy, that's on her. You know, she needs to figure out what to do. And then when she's feeling better, come find me. So, so we got to find some kind of balance in there. And I think often with shame, as men, we we have like this culture, you know, within society of whether it's manhood, penis size, money, how masculine you look, how tall you are. And, and we get older and as we're getting older, we often try to go after these things without acknowledging that connection or touch of shame. 
like as we're not reaching it, I don't know if we ever find ourselves in a conversation, you know, internal where we're, where we're saying, hey, I'm not reaching that thing that I should reach or I think I should reach. So now I'm feeling shame and it's coming out in my relationship. That's so true. I think also in the relationship, how that shows up is men feel a lot of shame when we don't have the emotional vocabulary. You know, I hear men say, I'm not, I'm not a woman. I'm not like your woman friends. And automatically I know he's feeling shame because he can't find the words that she needs for connection or that to be understood. So I think men feel shame around not, not understanding the emotional world. I, I've, I've counseled and have friends that are very, very wealthy. And that's the one area that they know. They're like, hey, you know what? I'm so successful here, but my relationship, I don't, I, I, I'm really bad at it. I'm bad at emotions. So that's, that's one thing that we don't learn as boys. We don't learn how to regulate, be in our emotions, to express it. Because like you said before, that's sissy or that's unmasculine. And as opposed to, yeah, it's not about, you know, being a woman, but it's about, can we be in our own vulnerability and understand that that's a strength and not a weakness? Yeah. There seems to be like a pull in society of men are often taught certain lessons uh, you know, just like, you know, athletes, soccer players taught certain things that, you know, basketball player may not be taught. And, you know, you've got male, you've got female, there's that upbringing, certain lessons come in. So then you find yourself as a male, maybe where you're, you're saying, Hey, when it comes to my job, I'm really successful. But when it comes to sharing with my wife, I have no idea how to do that. You know, it leads to an argument or stonewalling or, 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 you know, some other issue. It'd be interesting to kind of see where that started. I'm sure it'd be a deep history lesson. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I even read where men get overwhelmed and flooded much faster. So there's studies that show a male baby, when we're making eye contact with a male baby, when that male baby looks away, what most people do is try to make contact again and like get the, yeah. the attention. And automatically that signal is, oh, I'm not even good enough to look away. I can't even have my own space. Like I'm getting overwhelmed and flooded by this contact and you're not allowing me to do that. Where uh, girl babies, they want that, that their brains are, are wired for that connection. And so automatically we're not like looking that there's a different playing field. Like I talked to earlier and I just like to mention that when a woman doesn't feel safe physically and emotionally, she doesn't really want that sexual connection. And it's really important for us men to know that. And when our vocal cords are made to roar, you know, to intimidate for war, when we get hyped up and angry, our, our blood flow goes to the muscles of our, of our uh, extremities and so forth. And even though most women know most that my man is not going to physically harm me, it's again in their DNA that that's been in their past as a woman that they know that they're not stronger than a man, that there's that possibility. And I tell men, that's like having an eight-foot guy sitting on a chair just roaring over you. When you get angry at your woman, like you get intimidated by that man. But men, that, when, when a woman yells or shrieks, it's annoying more to a man. A man doesn't feel fear. He feels annoyed. So there is also this different dynamic around when a, when a man gets angry, and usually it's because he's feeling shame or inadequacy, a woman feels fear and anxiety on a visceral level. Yeah. It's almost that response of vulnerability, you know, and, and that lack of identifying, Hey, this is why I'm reacting the way that I'm reacting. 
I know that before we started today's episode, you were sharing with me that guy's driving in the car and then his wife's there and she's commenting on, you know, the driving and his response to it, you know, comes with maybe some frustration, some agitation or, you know, I'm driving fine. I got it. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and what she's sharing, you know, is more connected to feeling, you know, that protection, like wanting to feel safe. Exactly. Right. All the guy has to do, and I'm talking to myself, all I've got to do is just say, I'm sorry, honey, I'll slow down. I'll be more careful. Instead of saying, don't question, don't question me. I've got it. You know, and it's so ridiculous. I know when I do it, it's so ridiculous. And I'm trying to do it a lot less. And I think I do a lot less, but it's a knee jerk reaction of don't question my, uh, say, uh, I'm, I'm providing safety. But why can't we just bring it down and just acknowledge that there's another level of fear that's happening that may not have anything to do with us. So if I want to provide, I might as well have compassion instead of getting angry. Yeah. So providing from a perspective of understanding first, like let me not provide us what I think needs to be provided, but let me provide with togetherness. Exactly. What do you need from me? Right. And I think that can go a long way within relationships. Again, you know, I always go back to this predisposition as as men that we have when it comes to shame. I had a, uh, and, and, and women with uh, anxiety and fear, had an individual I worked with in the past years ago. She shared with me that she would go on hikes, so on, on walks, right? Um, whenever she would go, she would take her dog with her. And I said, well, that's nice. You know, I do the same thing with my, with my dog. I take my dog out all the time. I asked more questions. We got into the whole dog conversation. And she went into, well, safety. She feels safe. So I said, well, what, what do you feel safe from? What's going to happen? Well, I could be raped. I could be attacked. And that's a, it's very interesting there. You know, of course, it has all, all of its negatives. But it's interesting that you know, my mind went to a different direction. You know, I was thinking me going out with my dog, my dog's in riddle and, you know, we run and we race and then he needs me to pick him up and he's too heavy. And, you know, hers is he's trying to go for a walk, trying to get some exercise, but there's that fear that I could be harmed out there. And I think that connects, you know, to this conversation heavily as far as why couples find themselves in this really difficult situation. Yeah, exactly. I know for me, when I'm walking down the street, I'm not, there's not a whole population of one sect that I'm fearful of, you know, I'm kind of looking at like, oh, I don't know about him. I might not be able to take him a little bit like that goes on coming from Detroit. But most women I know when they're walking down the street, especially at night, there's a lot of fear for their safety. So I think that really comes in again of when a man isn't creating connection in their relationship, there's automatically this fear of being isolated and deprived, deprived of a connection, deprived of a dream of a relationship deprived of understanding and emotional connection. And so if that's just kind of understood, like what we're talking about is just trying to understand this dynamic more than defending it or fixing it. It's like the more that we understand it, I think the more compassion that we have in them, compassion is more, like we said, the antidote to especially like resentment or connection is a like a big antidote to to resentment if you want to decrease resentment you have more connection yeah yeah absolutely so being able to first kind of find ourselves in a situation and say hey what shame do i carry what insecurities do i carry and and where do they come from you know at times we can say well you know i grew up in a house where that was really pushed on me 
And I'll, I'll give another example because it makes me laugh when you were sharing with me about the light bulb. This is before the episode. So you were sharing with me that you were fixing a light bulb. And I come from a household where my dad would fix things. And to this day, it's still something that I'm working on where right now we're having our house go through repairs. And there's there's just little things here and there. And I'll, I'll tell my wife, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm going to go and fix that. And, and it's not just fixing it. See, for me, it goes into like, I have to prove like some sort of manhood that I can protect her, that I can do it. But then the other voice comes up and it goes, Juan, you don't have to do that. She loves you for you. You know, you don't have to go into those things. And I think it's that battle. And if we don't, you know, if we don't equip up and be compassionate and show up to that battle, then that darker voice can, and it did for me, tame. And then it leads to me getting upset with her, me getting frustrated or agitated or really quiet and reserved. And then she's like, what's wrong? I didn't want those things from you. I don't care if you can fix that or do that. You know, I love you for you. And, and it goes to what you're saying, people, right? The connection, being able to sit with your partner and have that ridiculous yet powerful and generational conversation. Because it didn't just start with me. I mean, there's a lineage, right? With whether it's DNA or genetics that have to do with why we react the way that we do. But finding a safe place with your partner talking about it, laughing about it, and then being able to say, well, what do we need from each other? How can I show up for you and you show up for me? Yeah. And like you said, like catching it, you know, I know that, that, you know, the similar light bulb one that I told you before, I was trying to fix this, put a doorknob in, in my wood door and I fucked up the door, man. Like I just like, I started banging I it. I started banging it and now like it's way off track and, and I started getting agitated and my wife was right there and, you know, I'm short with her. I'm like, no, nah, man, now my whole day is ruined. And, then, and after a while, I'm, I'm going to say it was, you know, short while she probably doesn't think it was a short while, but I was like, I am sorry. I gave you that energy. Like you have to be around that. And it, it was my own feeling of inadequacy of what I thought that I should be or should do. But also I think it happens subtly too with couples when a woman is probably in some way not thinking that this is shameful. But when a woman says to a man in the kitchen, uh, are you going to cut the tomatoes that way? You know, like right there, that's shameful for men. Like, can, can I just cut the freaking tomatoes the way I, I, I got to do it your way? I'm not doing it right. So I think that there's little subtle things that also we need to look at that you asked that question of like, where does the shame come from? But also, I think it's good for couples to ask each other. I never tell a woman to say, ask your man, you know, tell me how I shame you. Like, that's a setup, man. It's like, don't yeah. do that. It's like, that's like saying, you know, is, is my butt big in these jeans? Yeah, like, don't, don't walk do into that. that. No. <laughs> I tell women, say, tell me ways that mm -hmm. I shame you. Like right off the bat, tell me ways that I shame you. Like, I'm giving you permission to do that. And I think that we, if we can be open to hear how these subtle things of causing fear, causing anxiety, causing, influencing shame, influencing ang fear, then we'll have a broader sense. Instead of defending and explaining ourselves, we need to be curious and interested of, of that dynamic. Yeah. And, and that defensiveness, you know, often find that's human instinct. You know, we're animals at the end of the day and you corner an animal and it becomes defensive. Uh, I like the example of the tomatoes because it reminds me of uh, classic like 70s and 80s movies where the relationship's going in the wrong direction 
And I know we talked about it. And then she goes, Hey, we need to talk. And you know, no, no guy goes, yeah, man, I'm excited to have this conversation. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, she could be going a different direction. She could be like, Hey, you know, I need, we need to change our gym or, you know, so, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's those, it's from that perspective, right. It's looking at my statement does it, what does it do to my partner? Like on an energy level, you know, if their energy prior to my statement was stable and now I say, Hey, we need to talk. Are, did their energy just skyrocket? Their cortisol went up, right? They're on edge, their blood pressure's up. They're anxious, they're worried. So we shift that, you know, we, we shift it to something warm. You know, I really love whenever you sit with me, you know, after dinner, that's my bread and butter right there. And, you know, he's, he's going to be open to that conversation. You know, he's going to be open to sitting with you and figuring out, you know, where's this conversation going to lead us to. Yeah, exactly. There's studies that show that how, how a conversation starts, you can really tell how it's going to end by how it starts. And so that's why it's so important. We call it the soft startups, especially for women that that soft startup is not, we need to talk. As you said, you know, honey, I'd love to sit by you. I really want to connect and really understand. I want you to, to, I want us to feel close. Can we talk about this subject right now? Like that's a soft startup that men's going to come towards. And it's not about blowing smoke up each other's ass. It's not about, oh, I got to coddle this guy. It's actually like, how can I move towards you to get more of what I want? And what I want is connection, love, respect, as opposed to just blurting out radical honesty which doesn't create safety sometimes. So I think that really understanding what, what that soft startup means, which is, again, it's how can I create connection of what it is that I'm wanting or thinking or appreciating about you? Cause that's what I want to get from this conversation. Yeah. I noticed that. And then I want to go too into a cultural shift here and, and maybe, maybe you connect to this too. At times I work with couples and, you know, a female will say, well, he can handle that. You know, he doesn't need me to talk to him in, you know, some soft way. And then, you know, if I'm doing a one-on-one with him, you know, he may share, you know, hey, I can handle this fine. Sometimes she'll come at me pretty hard, but I'm, I'm fine with it. And, and those are like early conversations when we're getting to know each other. And then we're getting deeper, you know, sessions later. And it's, I don't, I don't like that. I don't appreciate being spoken to like that. So there, I think there comes, whether it's, you know, cultural, depending on backgrounds uh, or just looking at male, female, uh, there's maybe a lack, what we'll say, but there could be different terms to play with here. Uh, I think at times from the female perspective, as far as how I approach my man, you know, being able to say, cut those tomatoes that way. And then, you know, she may say, well, that's fine. You know, I don't find that disrespectful and he should be able to handle that. He's a man, he's grown, Right. So, so if, if he goes, right, if he, if he says, well, it was really hurtful and, you know, I, I appreciate if you said it in a kinder way, what's happening here. And, and I'll have the same conversation with couples and then he'll go, well, Juan, if I, as I'm saying that I'm feeling even more shame and embarrassment now, because I, I feel like a punk. I feel like I'm having to tell someone to speak to me in a softer way. And I, I'm a man, I should be able to handle that really tough conversation. So then I go, well, why? Why should you be able to handle that? Mm. You know, do you not deserve the kindness, you know, of compassion, of consideration? And then both of them can get you to roughly the same place. But which one of those, uh, a soft approach or, you know, that that one's a little little more tough, uh, rough around the edges, which one can get you to the end point where you feel good and she feels good? 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Because also, if we're not going to get that kindness and consideration by our partner, who who the hell are we going to really get it from? You know, this person that's supposed to really love us and endear. And I know that we can't do that 100% of the time. And that's, that's unrealistic. But we could step up our game. I remember my wife and I, years ago, we started calling each other like love names, you know, just, hey, love, sweet, babe, and hardly call each other by our first name. And I remember one time when I got angry at her and I went, oh, shit, babe. And her eyes kind of perked up and she was like, wow. And I'm like, what? She said, well, I, I could see that you're upset, but I, but I can see that you, that, that, you, that you love me too, you know, because I said, shit, babe, instead of just shit, right? And I think that some of that softness around the kindness and consideration really helps those cortisols, those feelings of fear. And again, it's not like, oh, it's not my responsibility to make sure that I spoon feed you. But why not? Why not, if we can, step up to, to more kindness to, to each other and understanding? A lot of times, that's why people go out and have affairs. They have affairs not because of the sex. They have affairs because they don't feel appreciated. They don't feel respected. Talk too sweet and nice. You know, people did that early on in their relationship. And the reason why they did it is that they felt way more connected to each other. And so to me, it's about connection and not just about the content of what we're talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that, you know, we're having this conversation and from both ends, there's like this vulnerability of here's ways that I've screwed up or, you know, rough around the edges or, or still growing and trying because it shows that, you know, regardless of those credentials behind your name or, you know, that you're quote unquote, we're supposed to be a clinician that maybe society thinks we have our shit together you know, we're, we're all people and we're trying to figure it out. And so many of the errors or mistakes or the ways that we fall down are, are just due to lessons that we didn't learn early on. So we're, we're, we're older now, right? And we're trying to put these new skills into play. We're trying to show up. And often we forget that a relationship is entirely voluntary, right? We are choosing to, <laughs> we're choosing to, to be with that person day in and day out right? To smell their farts and to eat the dinner together, whatever it may be. And, and with that voluntary process comes in a willingness, you know, willingness to wake up every day and kind of say, well, how can I show up today? How can I work on con connection versus just leaving a plant there to die? I, I love that. I love that, that choice that you said that we're choosing to be here. So if we're choosing to be here in this relationship, I have an influence of choosing how I want to show up and how I want to be towards that person. I tell people to visualize how you want to be. When, how, when you walk through that door, how do you want to be? Do you want to be loving and caring? When you visualize yourself, act a certain way, you're going to be more apt to do that. So visualizing yourself, do that. I remember some years ago, just recently, like you said, about being vulnerable as a, as a counselor. I, I think I told this story, but I'm going to tell it again. For years, I love to scare people. I grew up with friends that we would scare each other and all that stuff. So I would scare my wife all the time. And she's very easily startled and scared. And I would get, you know, I thought it was funny. I'd get a little... And we're going out 25 years and we live in a forest wooded area. And, you know, she carries around a bear spray, you know, every time she goes around because we got bears around and I would act like, you know, a bear. She's out in the car putting <laughs> groceries in. I come out, oh, 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 you know, and she gets startled. I think it's hilarious. And then one day I thought to myself, why the fuck do I want to scare my wife? 
Why do I, why do I want to purposely instill fear when I'm supposed to create safety for <laughs> it was like the simplest, hugest realization. And when I got it, she looked at me, she goes, thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And I told her, <laughs> I vow, I'm not going to do that again. I think I snuck one in a couple of weeks ago, but I, I was out of habit, but it's like, wow, that's a huge realization. Like that is so stupid to purposely create fear. There's enough fear in the world and enough that that's going to happen that I'm going to go ahead and create that. So I think just even that little thing, you know, around assessing a little bit of how we're contributing to even that dynamic, I'm contributing to fear by even creating startledness in, in, in her body instead of a, she's not going to feel safe with me. Is she going to want to go have sex with me after I just scared the shit out of her? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that strategy at the sex store yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scare your wife. Yeah. Sex. <laughs> and it will for sure lead to more sex. <laughs> exactly. That's a good story. I like that. That, that. that strategy though, it's it's a good one. You know, when you're able to like be accountable and to step back and reflect, I think when it comes to shame uh, or insecurity from either end, whether it's male or female, one item that we can do is exactly what you said, that visualization. And visualization works, you know, pro athletes do it, you know, like you got LeBron James, he'll sit on the couch and visualize himself moving through the court. And then you're like, Hey, yo, LeBron, you're still sitting on the couch, but in his mind, he is moving. And then it makes him so much more effective in those situations. And, and within our lives, you know, if you can identify on a sheet of paper and say, you know, these are the areas that um, I'm struggling with shame that I want to get better at with shame or with insecurity or with doubt, you know, the topics that we cover today. Then from there, identify one tiny leap. I'm a, I'm a big believer in just small steps because it works for babies, right? Babies crawl and then one day they're growing like us, walking and running around. So it works. Pick one and then visualize yourself, maybe sitting in the car, what it would be like for you to go into your home with your partner and then play that through. And then as you do that, it goes well. You're going to start feeling really, really good. You're going to feel confident. Your self-esteem is going to go up and it's going to be easier and easier to address each of those items that you put on that sheet of paper. I think that's great because visualization can be worked in the proactiveness of the future and it can also be worked in the past. I like to tell clients, hey, that time that you got triggered and you felt shame and you reacted, go replay that whole movie in your head and right at the moment where you went off and you got triggered, take a breath now and now replace and see yourself respond differently and play that over and over and over. So now your body doesn't know the difference between reality and visualization, it actually believes now that you actually responded more positively. So the next time that you have an incident like that, you're going to have a split second of choice of choosing more. Do I want an old reaction or new reaction? So visualization is really powerful around this too, about how we react, especially, you know, we're talking about men, how we react to, to shame because most men react to it by anger blame, defensiveness, stonewalling, avoiding, and or a combination of all of those. And most of the time, if men are reacting that way, there's some underlying shame or inadequacy going on. Yeah, it's a very good exercise there. I like that one. I'm a big fan of learning. And then, you know, after learning, kind of saying, hey, what can I do next to start, you know, implementing some shifts, you know, some mental shifts or physical shifts in life. So that things get closer and closer to those objectives and goals that I have. Mm -hmm. What do you think about self-discovery with uh, shame and, and, and really just a topic that we're talking about here? 
I think it's really just courageous for people to just go into the exploration about shame because shame is, I, I believe Brene Brown said, shame goes to the personhood. Shame is I'm a bad person. Guilt is I did a shitty thing. Shame is I'm a shitty person. So to dive into the aspects of, of shame takes a lot of courage and the self-exploration to do that, I believe takes self-compassion because if we're spiraling too much into shame it's really hard to have self-compassion because it's too painful to take accountability so when we're exploring shame we have to learn and look at the areas that we need to take accountability for the feelings of shame and it could be a shameful act or behavior that is actually valid like wow i did a shitty thing but that's not who i am it's it was my behavior can i springboard off of that to change instead of i'm just a flawed human being i am i'm horrible because if we do that then there's nothing to work so i do think that that exploration is is so courageous for for people to do and it's it takes a while to to really look at it because it shows up all the time i mean it's it's in society it just even the subtle things of uh, advertising for people to look good and all that is like you're not good the way you are so you need to put this lipstick on or you have this hairdo it's automatic you know without getting into the whole dynamics around viewpoints of the pandemic and and mask wearing but i just even that advertisement you can tell what kind of person they are by that by that they don't wear a mask it's like oh wait a second how do i know that person doesn't have a severe medical problem or they, they have PTSD and kidnapped and they can't wear, I don't know that, but automatically that shame, you know, to go towards shame. So yeah, it's prevalent. And I think we need to have more compassion for each other around that. Absolutely. The whole process, you know, journey to not just understand why we struggle with shame or insecurity, you know, from male or female perspective within the relationship, um, but also to take time, take time to reflect, to walk through, the process versus running through it. Uh, I, I like for couples to look at like self-discovery where you really engage in these deep conversations to get to know your partner inside and, and out, all of them with what can be like tough questions, you know, like what are your insecurities? Um, have you experienced shame in your life? Uh, and <clears throat> again, they, they can be really tough questions to answer, um, but what happens is they're they're focused on a goal, you know, a goal of two people agreeing, you know, mutually and voluntarily agreeing that we want to be at a better place. You know, we want to be at a place of compassion, of love, of connection. Yeah. And even that deep level of exploration, like you're saying, of asking that question, I tell a couple sometimes, hey, turn your chair around if you have to ask, answer that question. Because sometimes it's hard to, you know, we're looking for the clue. When I say that shameful, how are you going to react? Turn the chair around. So you don't see the person's reaction, but they hear it. I mean, there's so subtle levels of, of that. Can we just make a space for that other person and just acknowledge and let them be heard instead of squashing, putting out, you know, it's okay, sh 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 you, it's all right. You don't have to feel shame or trying to boost them up. It's not about that. Like you're saying, it's really making that space to be known in that. And that's compassion and that's empathy when we allow ourselves to make room for the other person's expression of their, of their vulnerability and their, their flaws. I love that. Yeah. This, this is a good one. I, I, use, I like to use that one. I, I find sometimes that we, and I'm going to raise my hand and say, I, I do it at times with my wife too, where 
when we're having those deep conversations and she's expressing that it's almost like an instinct that that protection comes in to want to help her not feel what she's feeling. But then there's the other voice of, you know, I have to respect and give her her space and, and show compassion and be here and be present. But in the way that she needs me to be here versus that instinct of wanting to shut it down, protect and, and make sure she's good in the way that I think she needs to be good. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. And hopefully people are listening kind of have an idea of how to play with that, you know, within their relationship. Also with, with yourself, you know, that's an activity you could do with just you, you know, sitting at home and work through it. Yeah. Cause I think when we do that, I'll get more comfortable with my shame. Cause if I'm not comfortable with my shame, I'm not going to witness somebody else's. So I think some of that times that we could, we squash quickly somebody else by fixing or something. It's also because, wow, I'm really uncomfortable witnessing it. Cause I'm, I don't have a good relationship with that emotion or whatever. So I think some of that is, yes, I want to protect or I want to soothe somebody else but some of it is oof, it's really uncomfortable for me to look at and to see so yeah i think we have to be conscious of that ourselves and do that yeah to really understand it yeah it reminds me of um that last episode that we did on friends and you know when you get to that point of ending ending those relationships the point that it reminds me of is that i found myself at times being in circles with friends and I think it does relate to intimate relationships as well. And maybe you found yourself in this situation too, Prepa, where you're in a, a group of friends, like a small group, and then someone shares a sense of vulnerability. And you look around the room and then, you know, you, you, you see, you make an assumption based off of the other individuals of discomfort. Like they, they don't like what's going on. They don't like what's being shared. They don't know what to do. Uh, and it's, it's spaces like that. And it, play, it plays out. Often it plays out in a way where the person that did share it doesn't receive what they needed to receive. Um, and I find that it's due to, you know, first on an individual level, you know, we, we got to do work. You know, I need one, I need to work on me to be able to feel comfortable with that so that I know how to show up for myself and for others. And often these are skills that, again, we're, we're just not kind of handed out early on in our life. So we're trying to figure out how to get them now so that we can develop, whether it's friendships or intimate relationships. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because when we get them for ourselves, we're going to be less apt to try to fix somebody else. It's like, you know, work on our own house. And, and if we can work on our own level of discomfort when we witness somebody else's discomfort, we can give them the opportunity to just be a human being. Like I love in my office, I've got, I've got four or five uh, tissue boxes it's like when somebody is crying, I let them, I let them take their own tissue. I don't go a after and give their, give a tissue because that's cutting off their process. I want them to have their process and they can take care of themselves. It's th it's two feet away. They know it instead of me having to go ahead and in some way cut it off. So I think it's so subtle in, in, in some of these ways. It's like, I, I want to be with your vulnerability, you know? Yeah. A very good point there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, see, brother, I love where we went with all this and hopefully people get a little bit more of um, curiosity also and take a look at in their own relationships of how this fear shame dynamic shows up and have more compassion for each other and more inquiry and really understand some of the underlying aspects to bring more connection to, to the relationship. So thanks a lot for wanting to do this with me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I loved it. You know, getting getting to continue to speak with you and and to go into you know a topic like this one that you know requires attention and time, as well as you know a level of nurturing ourselves. You know, definitely not being hard on ourselves as we're taking this journey. That's a great point, you know, because it is a journey. And the more that we are going to be hard on ourselves, we're going to just perpetuate that shame. So that's that's the, that's the self-compassion part. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks again. Absolutely. We'll figure out another one to do soon. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode, which was sponsored by Still Point Wellness, Asheville's premier spa. Still Point is co-owned by my dear friends and colleagues, Corey Costanzo and Robin Costanzo. They offer state-of-the-art saltwater flotation tanks as well as the incredible certified Esalen massages. You can check them out at stillpointwell.com or check out the show notes for the links. You can also use the code word PREPO and you will get 10% off your first float or your first Esalen massage. And folks, our sponsors and donations from you listeners are tremendous help to get this out to you in a professional manner. If you or your organization is interested in sponsoring some episodes, you can contact me at prepo.com. And don't forget to check out our audio guides and audio meditations at prepo.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at prepo.toplitsky. Would love if you also leave a review on Apple Podcast. All those algorithm things and stuff that I don't know about, I've been told that the more that we get, the more listeners. And another thing, if you're not able to donate to the podcast at all, but really want to help out, I would be so grateful if you just share the podcast with other people. This is a way that we can transform the world by transforming our relationships. Thanks, everybody. Sending you lots of love. And hope you make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.